You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jen Wilkin and JT English. Today, we're also joined by one of our favorite people, Elizabeth Woodson. Elizabeth is a minister on the Village Church Institute team. She helps teach Bible classes. She helps write curriculum. She helps us administrate the training program and mentor and disciple leaders across all of our learning environments. And we're delighted to have her on. And on today's episode, we talk about 1 Samuel 16 and 17. This is one of the most well-known stories in all of scripture. It's the story of David and Goliath. We talk about some common misrepresentations of this story. We talk about how we can uh, understand this story rightly and also learn things about how we are to live in the world. We talk about the relationship between David and Jesus, between David and Saul, between the anointing of David as king in 1 Samuel 16 and why that's significant. And so this is a story that you know very well, but oftentimes we've heard versions of it that don't really help us get to the heart of what the story is about. So we hope you enjoy the discussion. Um, okay. So <laughs> JT's on his phone. What's new? <laughs> I'm looking at a, uh, you really want to know? Yeah. I it's mean, a tweet. No. It's a tweet from Inia Dog. It's, Inia it's Dog. A, it's, a, it's a Twitter handle run by a dog. What is the world? That talks where, about where Enneagram. What? <laughs> <laughs> Read between the lines. Okay. So you are right now. I, I, I wasn't like looking. I wasn't. No, 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 no. I wasn't looking. I need to be honest. I need to be honest. I wasn't looking for it. I was scrolling through my highly sophisticated Twitter followers. Which includes a dog account. No, no, no. Somebody retweeted it. Uh, oh, okay. It was Jen. It was not me. Was it Jen for real? No, it was not. Yes, me. it was. Don't throw hundred. It wasn't Jen. Like it wasn't Jen. Oh my gosh! It, I'm not going to say who it was. Her It'll palate is far more refined than Enneagram. I'm not going to say it was, dogs. but you would know who it is, and they're a lovely person. Okay, well, great. I don't really care about the Enneagram. So I'm I still only scrolling. like one breed of dog, so it was not me. Yeah. Okay. We know it, Jen is a huge Golden Retriever fan. That's what, widely known. What on the Enneagram head. number do you think a pug would be? I don't tell people's Enneagram numbers because I think it's a jerk move. Yeah, I like, that, I like that you said pugs are people. I'm into that. Oh, well, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't <say> that. <laughs> <laughs> if I did, I did not do it on purpose. Um, I'm not a, well, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I typically out myself as not a pet person, which I have now done. And people judge you when you're not a pet There's person. a Friends episode about that. They should when Chandler, judge you, you Chandler heartless, says he doesn't cold really? dogs. Unfeeling. Really? Wait, Elizabeth? <gasps> I mean, I'm an other people's pet person, but yeah, I'm not like you my own. Well, do you have pets? No. Oh, okay, so you don't want to have pets? No. Me either. But do you dislike dogs actively? I'm. Well, hold on. <laughs> it's not. This is not a like. I don't hurt animals. Okay. <laughs> Just want to be clear about I, this. I, I would describe myself as that person up until I got a pug. That you would you hurt animals? animals? No. <laughs> 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 like, okay, let the record show. Well. <laughs> I actively disliked dogs. Okay. okay. Mine, other people's, all of them. Everybody, okay. Okay, yeah. I, I, I don't actively dislike dogs, but I do see them as a nuisance. They're not. I have a golden doodle, and he's incredible. I've been around your dog, and he's okay. Oh. Oh. <laughs> His name is? Bartlett. From? West Wing. That's right. <laughs> it always comes back. And we call we call his bed the Oval Office. Oh my no, gosh. JT. <laughs> yeah, we can't go there with you. I feel JT. like this podcast is sometimes an inception on West Wing. It's like a show. Like actually, people listening, this is a show within a show. There's two arcs. There's really what we're talking about, but then there's West Wing. I'm disappointed you picked up on it. 
Oh, yeah. Wait, are we recording? We yes. are. This is oh, it. hey, everybody. This is that classic Knowing Faith cold open. Boom. <sighs> Probably wouldn't have said some of those things. Well, it's okay. <laughs> it's now out there in the ether. <laughs> and we're joined by one of our favorite people. Uh, we have a list of favorites, and she's on the she's on the VIP list of the favorites Ooh, list. VIP, okay. Yeah. This is Elizabeth Woodson. Welcome, hey, Elizabeth Woodson. Hey, Elizabeth. Hey, Elizabeth. Thank you so much. Yeah. And um, you, you haven't just been on our podcast. I've seen you out there. You're on other podcasts, Elizabeth. I am on other podcasts. Yeah, you were just, J- JT and I were just talking. You were a guest on... We talked different. I listened last night, Elizabeth. You listened. I okay. did. It was wonderful to hear you on there. That's oh, a yeah. great podcast. It was fun. It was fun to do that. That's awesome. So you're just out there gallivanting. You know? Just like... Talking to the people. Podcast gun for hire. I don't know about that. Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, great, because JT's starting a dog Enneagram account, West Wing podcast, and he's looking for the thing. I feel like if there was going to be a cultural moment to have a podcast on the West Wing mixed with Enneagram, I feel like this is that moment. Oh. If you were going to do it. Wait a second. <laughs> like, yeah, I think you're right. That would be a, when you do it. That's a million dollar idea. Well, on today's episode, we are talking about one of the most familiar stories in the whole Bible. And that is the story of David and Goliath. And so we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel 16 and 17. Um, And just kind of uh, as part of our year on the Knowing Faith podcast, we kind of dive in every other podcast release into some portion of 1st or 2nd Samuel because we follow along with what the men and women in our church are doing in Bible study. So we have a Bible study that's going on at this time and it's going through the book of 1st and 2nd Samuel. And right now in the fall, they're studying 1st Samuel. And one of the biggest stories, if not the biggest story, most well-known story certainly in 1st Samuel is the story of David and Goliath. And so we're going to open up and look at 1st Samuel 16 because that's kind of pivotal for understanding what happens in the story of David and Goliath. So when we open up in 1 Samuel 16, you can just see it in your little, in your Bible, just the, the heading there, is David anointed king. So Israel has a king already, but in 1 Samuel 16, David is anointed king. Now, to me, this seems like a real Housewives of New York thing <laughs> for Samuel to do. He's like, you know, it's like Trish is over here and Betty and Tiffany are over here and they're talking about excluding Trish. You know what I'm saying? So Samuel shows up over at Jesse's house and he's like, listen, don't tell Saul. <laughs> but, uh, but I'm going to anoint you king. Anoint a new king while there's a king on the throne. What's going on here? What is happening? With David and Saul and this anointing. Okay, this is what's so great about us going through an entire book of the Old Testament from start to finish is we don't have permission to take this story outside of what else has already happened. We have to take it on terms of the book as a whole. And at the point that this happens, we've already seen Saul sin against the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, guess what? You're not going to be the king now because you blew it. So... Even though he is at Jesse's house and Saul is still on the throne, it is only a matter of time in the mind of the reader until Saul is no longer on the throne. And what we saw with Saul is the pattern established that a king is anointed and then there is some demonstrable um, sort of miraculous act that happens that validates that he is the king and then he becomes the king in fact. So when we come to the story of David and Goliath, He's anointed, and then that act happens. And so hmm. then the reader knows to build anticipation of the fact that he will, in fact, take the throne. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, so uh, with uh, with David being anointed king, 
and with the sin of Saul, does Samuel just like, how does David show up on the map? Is this an American Idol situation <laughs> where, you know, Samuel has open calls for Bible King candidates? Um, what's going on? Why does Samuel show up at Jesse's house? Well, Samuel shows up there because that's where the Lord leads him to. It's always a good, always that's a good always reason a good to go. <laughs> And I think it's an interesting process of how David gets chosen because with Saul, you see this, um, they choose him based upon his outward appearance. And so Samuel goes to um, Jesse's house and he goes through all his sons Mm -hmm. and he gets to the last son who's not even there. The Lord keeps saying, this is not the one, this is not the one, this is not the one. Um, And then David comes. And so you just see this process of the Lord choosing someone that... Jesse wouldn't have it even put forth because mm-hmm. he wasn't even there to be an option by his right. own father. Yeah. Um, and so Samuel goes because that's where the Lord sends him. And the Lord chooses David instead of the people choosing Saul. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the role? So this this picture of anointing and being an anointed one, this is significant. Oh, it's a big deal. So what is the role of anointing in the Old Testament and kingship in- imagery? And is this moment significant? I think it's definitely significant. I, I don't know that I know all that you're kind of asking here, but kings are anointed. They're the ones who are elected and chosen to reign and rule. And there's a ceremony that happens so that they would be the ones who all people would see as God's chosen leader of God's people. Uh, I don't want to get too far into New Testament imagery here too, but go there. this is also very, this is true of Jesus. I mean, so mm-hmm. the gospel writers are trying to demonstrate that Jesus is the anointed one, also the Messiah, the chosen one. And uh, some scholars disagree over what is Jesus's actual anointing as the Davidic king. Some would say his baptism. Others would say his anointing at Bethany. But in the very same way, Jesus, the son of David, is anointed to be king and ruler over Israel, the true king. Yeah, that's good. If I had to press you real quick, just this is selfishly. where do you do you think baptism or do you think anointing of baptism? I think baptism. Okay, mm-hmm. that's me too. Well, and here's a good reason to think that because it's after his baptism that he begins his miraculous mm-hmm. uh, acts, and so you see a similar pattern to what we see here in the Old Testament of anointed signs that he is the rightful king, and then ass- assumes the kingship. Right, and also you get the baptism, and then what? What comes right after the baptism? The Holy Spirit. The oh, the Spirit. temptation. Temptation of the wilderness. Oh, yes. So so just like David, he's anointed mm-hmm. king and goes right into battle, mm-hmm. which I think is, mm-hmm. again. Well, and in the case of Saul, you had you had the same thing. He is anointed and he immediately faces a temptation of whether he will be self-reliant right. or not self-reliant and he fails. Yeah. So, you know, you understand the story of David in comparison to the story of Saul. Saul is the man that Israel chose. Mm-hmm. Um, and and just as, you know, we, we want to choose who rules over us and the terms by which we will be ruled and then David is the man who God chooses, and uh, and 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 then the contrast there helps us to understand the rest of the story. I was having a conversation with uh, one of our staff members, Nate Elgin, our intern on the team, who I hope we have on the podcast sometime. But I was having a conversation. I want to bring it in here quickly. Uh, was Israel wrong for wanting a king? Are you asking? Yeah, or were they wrong for wanting a king like the nations? Well, that one. I don't think it's clear. Ooh. Yeah, I don't think it's clear. I mean, because God keeps saying, I'm the king that you were. And and so you see that you see is Deuteronomy 17. Mm. Is that right? There, there's all the provision that Moses makes for when you get to Canaan and you, uh, and you establish a king. Um, But the question kind of lingers out there uh, in the commentaries that that we've been looking at putting together the Samuel study of whether that is a provision for their weakness or whether it was what God intended. Yes. There's also passages where, uh, Mosaic Covenant, uh, God says to Moses, kings will come from you. 
queens will come for you. There will be this dynasty that reigns and rules on God's behalf after the period of the judges. Well, the, pr- the promise to Jacob. The promise to Jacob. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think you could even say, root this back in Genesis 1 and 2, which virtually everything should be, is that Adam and Eve were meant to be God's dynasty, to reign and rule on right. his behalf. Right. Uh, but I find it interesting here, and Elizabeth, I think you made this point well, that they're wanting a king, but specifically wanting a king like the other nations. Right. Here, well, that's definitely clear yeah. that that, no that in their wanting of a king, their 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 motive is wrong, no matter how you slice it. And even this small little family is operating right. under the same assumptions. Well, right. it can't be it can't be that one because exactly. he wouldn't be right. like mm-hmm. a king like the other. Yeah, nations. that notion is so pervasive that this guy. And it's still his, true for yeah. us today. The people that we want today are kind of strongmen. People mm-hmm. who we think will provide economic stability, mm-hmm. people who will provide mm-hmm. uh, uh, financial stability, sure. military stability, and, yeah. and that's just in our hearts. It's, it's in all of our hearts. Mm-hmm. So let's talk I politics. <laughs> <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm not meaning to do that. I'm saying the human heart desires to preserve itself yep. outside the will of the Lord yep. and will seek any means necessary to do it. And well, Israel's doing that here. Yep. And well, and often that we think that our problems of rule are mechanical problems. Like mm-hmm. we, we talked about this in the teaching time for, for Samuel is that we think, oh, you know, it's just the way that we're ruled. It's not a problem with what's going on inside of us. Mm-hmm. It's, it's having mm-hmm. that right mechanism for rule in place that will fix our problems rather than as, as Samuel uh, emphasizes over and over again and we see even in the passage with jesse it's not about the externals it's about the internal yeah. piece mm-hmm. let's talk about one more thing from first samuel 16 that i think is just particularly profound and worthy of our discussion first samuel 16 in verse 13 and 14 there is a very interesting flip that happens here mm-hmm. uh then samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers and the spirit of the lord rushed upon david from that day forward and samuel rose up and went to ramah verse 14 now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. Whoa. <laughs> Two verses. David's anointed king, spirit of the Lord rushes upon him. Right. Verse 14, almost like at the same time, the spirit of the Lord departs from Saul. Let's talk about that. What's happening? Why is this significant? I mean, I think it's significant, one, because of... I think you see the movement of the spirit. And so kind of the confirmation that God's choosing has moved from Saul to David. Right. And then you have this evil spirit that comes upon Saul and known is this a demonic spirit, kind of what's going on here, but it's from the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so the Lord is tormenting Saul and really out of his space of disobedience. You know, you see kind of the... Um, he has broken the kind of commands or covenant of the Torah. Mm-hmm. And so God's response to that and how he allows the spirit to torment Saul and then David to be the um, solution for what Saul is going through. And so how the Lord just places David supernaturally in the space he needs to be um, in order to be in the presence of Saul. But it just is how the Lord is using um, the spirit to really as judgment upon Saul for mm-hmm. what he's done. Do you ever get stuck wondering how to study a Bible passage? The Courage for Life Study Bibles for Women and the Courage for Life Study Bibles for Men have over 1,400 Bible studies. That's a Bible study on every page of Bible text. Access to the Filament Bible app lets you dive even deeper. If you download the app and you scan the page number, you can open up a world of resources, including over 25,000 additional study notes, hundreds of videos, and a full audio Bible. Start discovering at Courage for Life Bible That's courageforlifebible.com for incredible study notes and an incredible study Bible.
What bridge is God calling you to cross that the gospel might go forth among the nations? Women like Lilius Trotter, Harriet Newell, and Sarah Hall Boardman Judson have indeed crossed their own bridges to get to the lost. Discover the stories of 10 inspiring female missionaries who changed the world for Christ. 10 Women Who Changed the World is Seminary President Daniel Aiken's powerful tribute to these women who fulfilled the Great Commission. May we all follow in their footsteps. 10 Women Who Changed the World is available wherever books are sold. Well, and, you know, earlier in the text, there was this tension between the right fear and, and the wrong fear. Mm-hmm. And, and what we see is that when Saul fails to have a right fear of the Lord, mm-hmm. he then experiences the terror of the Lord, which is exactly, God is actually being faithful to his word mm-hmm. when this happens, because that's exactly what Samuel told them would be the case. If you obey and fear the Lord, then things will go well for you. And if you don't. And it is a judgment mixed with mercy. Because, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. like Elizabeth just hit on, uh, the th- the what ends up being Saul's comfort is the spirit indwelled servant king, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, like, Saul disobeys God and is judged. He's tormented because of his disobedience by God. But the thing that brings him comfort, comfort is David. Yeah. The spirit and dwelt mm-hmm. servant king. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Um, and we think about even how that plays out into thinking through David as a Christ figure, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Of seeing that, man, what happens even in our judgment mixed with mercy, there is a servant mm. king, spirit and dwelt, who's comforting us. Mm. Um, okay. What are some, when we get to the story of David and Goliath, what are some of the common misrepresentations of the story of David and Goliath? What do we think? This is a story everybody knows. It's yeah, from like, VBS. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's like the story of like mm-hmm. when somebody yeah. comes back and they're like, yeah, I caught a fish. And they're like, mm-hmm. well, how big was the fish? And it's like, oh, it was this big. Mm-hmm. It just all of a sudden like the story gets like, told. Culturally right now, I, I'm kind of ashamed to admit this. Sure. My wife and I watched Survivor. It's in its 39th season. Really? I've not watched all of them. 30? They do two. They usually do two. Two uh, a year. Two a year. <laughs> you know what, 85 years right, old? No one told me. You know what this season's plot is? What? David's versus, versus Goliath. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And so here you have a, a, a very popular, you know. Underdog story. Well, yeah, it's yeah. an underdog story. So really they have people who uh, have had everything go their way. They've had privilege. They've had opportunity. They've had power their whole lives. They grew up in situations where just things fell on. It's like there's one girl who, you know, she has their all the, all the degrees, has started like four companies. They've all just like turned to successes. Mm-hmm. But then you have these other people who had to fight for everything. Just they were the they were the shepherds who nobody was thinking of, and anything that has come their way has been through deep challenge, deep ops, you know, incredible obstacles. And right. so this is a this is a very well known cultural story. Yeah, yeah, it is. So, what are some of the common misrepresentations of that story? Well, you know, for a long time, I thought this in this story, David was a little boy. Did anybody else yeah. get that? Uh, yeah. Well, that's definitely what you see in Sunday school. Yeah. It's like, oh, like, yeah, hey, this children. little kid. <laughs> and then, his si- then the size disparity between the presentations yeah. of David and Goliath make it even more significant. Yeah. Yes. Right? Because he looks yeah. like a toddler. Yeah. <laughs> Out there throwing rocks. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. And then I think, you know, the typical way that this story was handled um, when I heard it was um, where you come away going, man, that David, he's really something else. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and so you, you focus on his heroism in the story and, um, and that's your main takeaway. Right. It's like, hey, 
go be like David. Yeah, yeah. like what, what's in your life? What's the biggest obstacle right. in front of you? And right. how do you, right. how can you use it's means like, that nobody just, else would think would right. kill a right. Right. And if you can just, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. in What's your ninja skill yeah, that you, you can, can use? Yeah. You know, fling right. these at, at your enemy, maybe, you know, topple them over, then you right. can mm-hmm. be like David. Mm-hmm. And the story is a story of triumph. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's ask the question. Is that a wrong interpretation of the story? Well, yes. And it's yes. And no. it's, in, it's incomplete. <laughs> oh, yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I would even describe it as a secondary yeah. application. Yeah. Right. Because let's just talk about the details of the story. And yeah. then like, mm-hmm. okay, so David shows up, right, to bring aid to his brothers. Mm-hmm. That's why he's going out there. Mm-hmm. And he gets out there and he finds what? Israel is cowering mm-hmm. against the Philistine army and that Goliath has challenged Israel to what in the ancient Near East would have been considered representational fighting, mm-hmm. right? Because in, in this day and age, representational fighting was a way for uh, two competing militaries to go, listen, there could be a complete onslaught here, complete bloodshed, mm-hmm. but why don't we send out our two best strongest? They will fight on our behalf. And if that person wins, it will our, that victory will be given to all of us. Right. That's representational mm-hmm. fighting. Partly that mode of fighting was advantageous if the two parties could agree because if you won, uh, you first off, you, you spared a lot of your own life mm-hmm. for future battles. Mm-hmm. And two, you might be able to seize a lot of the enemy's property or people without having to give up a lot of your own. Right. So, like, the trade was just really good. It was one life against one life. The risk was high, but the reward was great. And so Samson is... Oh, not Samson, excuse me. Another big man. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Goliath is being put forward as the Philistine representative. Right. Mm -hmm. And you would expect that the representative from Israel would be a big, burly guy. In fact, in 2 Samuel, there's a scene where there's a competition between um, Mm -hmm. two groups of men that's supposed to settle the the battle in... And so what there's a, that model, as you've described, Kyle, is being subverted here. That right. he's saying, you know, this is, a, it's almost comical that it would be set up the way that it is. But right. the irony here is the king, the, the, the one that, that Israel had chosen for themselves is cowering. The one who they mm-hmm. thought would be right. the one who would go forward in battle. Mm-hmm. The one who would bring yeah. them right. victory yeah. is actually the one who cowers. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So you have this representational fighting. Like that's the that's the scene. It's like mm-hmm. here they are there in the Valley of Elah and Goliath is out there. He's like, I'm going we're going to fight. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and send out your best and your biggest and your brightest, mm-hmm. which you expect to be Saul, mm-hmm. but it's not. Mm-hmm. It's not. And so and there's a really interesting moment in verse twenty and twenty one, and it says, This is speaking of David, David came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. He David David left the things in charge of the keeper the baggage, ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. And as he talked to them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath, by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the men, fled from him and were much afraid. Okay, so David, that's the moment where David is coming up into the midst. Mm-hmm. Is There's been a shout of war. They're ready to go. They get up, they see the enemy, and they go, nope. Right? Mm-hmm. They back down. Mm-hmm. And so David stands in. And what does he do? What does he say? What is David, what's David's response? This is one of my favorite verses mm-hmm. in the Bible. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine <laughs> that should defy the armies of the living God? Yeah. I wake up every Monday morning and just cry yeah. that out against yeah. yeah. God's yeah. enemies. <laughs> right. right. Okay. Uh, and the people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done to the man who kills him. So there's mm-hmm. this, there is this hope. And, and here's what I find incredible about this story is, Certainly everybody who's walking away from Goliath at battle has something to lose, namely their life. 
Right. David has something to lose too, his life, but also his kingship. Like mm-hmm. what's incredible here, yeah. he's been anointed as king. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a great point. And so he has this great cost associated with, if, if I go out there and fight and lose, not only do I lose my life, but but really the people, you, you could maybe make a case uh, or, or self-justify, the people of Israel will lose their future king. So it can't be me that goes to go fight because if I'm the king, they lose not only yeah. my life, but their future leader. Right. So I shouldn't go. It should be somebody, I should delegate this authority to somebody else. Right. But rather he says, I'll, I'll go. Yeah. yeah, and he goes, and what happens? I forget. You forget. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. There's I not mean, a spoiler here. Yeah, yeah. Like, no spoiler. yeah. so he, he strikes him down, yeah. and um, they chop off his head, which is JT was um, happy similar to, to point Dagon. Out the, the, yeah, Dagon. the moment with Dagon, uh, and I think then we all go, man, it's a good thing that David was really skilled with a slingshot, right? Um, which would be the equivalent of in you know in the story of Saul's miraculous defeat of the Philistines is saying it's a good thing that Saul was so skilled in military leadership. Right. Um, the point of of this story is that David defeats Saul. David defeats Goliath by the power of the Spirit. Right. Mm-hmm. That God is acting through him right. to um, to exert his kingship. Uh, and and so David, and in fact, you know, his kingship is referred to as that he is a prince. He's he's a he's a vice regent uh, under God, who is their king. Right. And um, and I think that's the part that we often miss when we try to make this a story about David is that we say, and you know, he was so he he had developed this skill in the mm-hmm. pastures, you know, when he was defending the sheep right. against the bears and the wolves and everything, and then the Lord used that skill. And I mean, on the one. On the one hand, it's true, but we're meant to read this as a miracle, not oh, as, yeah. as David had his best shot ever with his slingshot. Well, and the, the text says that in verse 46 and 47, it says, this is happening so that the earth yeah. might know that there is a God in Israel, right. not because mm-hmm. David was awesome. Right. Verse 47, and that this assembly might know that the Lord saves, not with sword and mm-hmm. spear, mm-hmm. for the battle is the Lord's. That yeah. it is right. going to be miraculous victory, right. that it's not, victory is not going to come the way we think it's going to come so that God gets glory. Yeah, that's good. And of course, it's an easy, it's a, it's a short walk to the story of Christ because here we have your classic upside down relationship mm-hmm. where the thing that should have happened didn't happen. The opposite of what you would think would have happened did. Right. And that in, in weakness is where you see the strength of the Lord manifested. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in this story, it's, it's not wholly true. It's not complete to say, um, okay, the point of this story is to be like David. Our, our pastor would beg to differ. <laughs> right. He has, a, he has a pretty good clip on this. Yeah. <laughs> You're not David. You're not David. <laughs> pretty sure he yells it several times. <laughs> uh, because, because like David, we do encounter an enemy we mm, can't defeat. Yeah. Right? I mean, just like Israel. Yeah. And we need somebody to fight on our behalf and give us their victory. Yeah. yeah. yeah in this story, we are, we are not Goliath. We're also not David. We're the people running away from battle yep. in need of a representative mm-hmm. to win the battle on our behalf. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if that is the case, like if that's like, if we're going, okay, great. We're not David. Jesus fights an enemy on our behalf and defeats it. Well, then is there anything for us to learn from this story, Elizabeth? Like as you, t- as you teach yeah. this, as you, f- you say this passage, is there anything that like, okay, is there anything worth commending here from David? How are we to learn? What are we supposed to walk away from here? I mean, I think something, and pointing back to what I learned when I grew up about this story, is that the focus was on, it ends the focus on David and his own personal problems. Mm-hmm. 
And the reason that David went out to battle in the first place is because Goliath was standing against the Lord. Right. And so what does it mean for us to recognize and think it's seen in a way of when people come against who God is. And so not necessarily, man, I have this really hard test or I have this financial problem or I have this medical issue. All of those are good applications. But ultimately, how is this pointing back to what is happening with who God is in my life? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's the, it's the temptation to make the story end with me mm-hmm. and not make the story end with the Lord and what God is doing throughout creation for redemption um, and the bringing of his kingdom. And yeah. I think to me, that's how, because it's, we can make promises with a story that, hey, God's always going to show up with a miracle. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of personal problems that David has in Second Samuel mm-hmm. that don't get worked out in a pretty right. way. <laughs> Preach. <laughs> and so, you know, how do you land people in a place that's going to go for the test of time? And to me, how do we land in a place where what are we doing to push forward who God is and his kingdom and not necessarily just my own personal problems on an everyday basis? It's not a bad space, but that can't be the final landing space we have. So you're saying fight not just for personal application, but for application for the the church. Yeah. I think that's a great word. I think there is a common trend uh, in our corners of evangelicalism to say the punchline to every lesson is Jesus is the true and better fill in the blank. Yeah, specifically preaching the old. Like the that's old. how you win, right? As if that's your your concluding point. And um, I think I would press on that because um, that's a you really... You would say it's untrue. It is absolutely true. You I would say, say that is yeah. the first application. But yeah. we were, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I think then there is a second application that if we neglect to get to it, then we've not served our people. Mm-hmm. Jesus is the true and better fill in the blank is what gets us to justification. He's yeah. done the work, right? right? He's, he's what we were waiting for. He has <laughs> delivered us from the enemy. But the New Testament goes to great lengths to say, be like Jesus. And and it's not just even the New Testament. It's also this story. Mm -hmm. So because we often preach the story like, look at David. He's the, he's our Mm -hmm. victorious king. Mm -hmm. He slayed the giant. He's the, you know, um, and then Jesus Christ is the true better. But we still leave Israel like camped at the sidelines and just going, look at this savior. But that's not where they stay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In verse 52 and following, you see, so just reading verse 50. So David prevailed over the Philistine Mm -hmm. with a sling and with a stone, struck Mm -hmm. the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran, stood over the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out of his sheath, killed him, cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. like, the story begins. They did what they, David did. Exactly. Yeah. They did exactly what David mm-hmm. did. So they follow in the wake. So I've often looked at this and said, you know, the primary application, right, is that, yes, Jesus wins the war. But we're still called to go fight the battles. <laughs> That's right. Like, and, we, and the way that we fight those battles... Is Linda is like Don't the way of it. David. Don't do it. Right? We have a private joke involving oh. a worship song. Oh, for real? Kyle just cued and he didn't even know I it. I didn't even know it. I didn't even you jump in, JT. No, don't jump okay. in. Okay. No. Uh, <laughs> but never take the bait. <laughs> but in the same way, when yeah. we look at our work, you're talking about justification yeah. and sanctification, it's not just because a lot of times what we'll do. Uh, in, in the name of gospel centrality is we'll, we'll say, behold your savior. And we'll never say, yeah. imitate me as I imitate God. Well, I would say we've seen a widespread renunciation of the value of the morality tale. Yeah. That um, people have so broadly 
characterized moralism that they've forgotten that morality is actually something that is the the business of the Christian life, mm-hmm. that we're called to be moral, we're called to be law abiders, and um, that we are called to image Christ by being obedient to the law that he was perfectly obedient to. Mm-hmm. And we're not opposed to morality, we're opposed to moralism, to right. earning favor through good behavior. Um, but morality tales, and this is a morality tale, oh, we should sure. say it. It's a morality tale insofar as it tells us something that's true about Christ and admonishes us to be like Christ. Right. Uh, we should value it as such, but we should frame it in light of who Christ is. Well, the story is immediately put into song. In verse 18, David comes in and says the women are singing to one another as they celebrate. Saul struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And I think that it's probably exercising some canonical imagination here, but I would imagine that there were little boys and girls playing out the story of David and Goliath all throughout Judah and Israel. Mm-hmm. Like just playing out the story, mm-hmm. right? Saying like this, like, oh, I'm David. Like I'm striking down Goliath. Mm-hmm. And it's okay for us to go man, there is things that are commendable here just in the same way that it doesn't minimize my view of Christ's centrality and my absolute need for him to go, there are ways that Jesus Christ lived and I want to live in those ways. I don't think it minimizes the Christ event. It actually, I think, maximizes it in your life. You're saying, I'm basing every single thing, not just the past event of what he did, but the current event of what he's doing in my life on who he is and imitating, mimicking his way of being in the world. That's good. Anything else to add? Any other details, textures, insights here? <laughs> okay. We just, wow. We got it. We exhausted David and Goliath. Um, somebody told me recently, they were like, you guys aren't afraid, uh, talking about the podcast, you're not afraid to ask questions where there's dead air afterwards. <laughs> See, I, don't know that, I don't know if that's a backhanded compliment. Oh. So did you put that in your rating on iTunes? Right, yeah, exactly. There's a, there are often moments of dead air on knowing oh. faith because sometimes theology is unknowing. Or not knowing. What? Right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Incomprehensible. Nice. All of your questions are. Mm. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, if there's anything that you heard us talk about on the show that you'd like to know more about, you can find details on our website, tvcresources.net. Future episodes coming up. We're talking to uh, Hannah Anderson. Uh, we're doing a Q&A episode. There's some fun stuff coming up, and so stay tuned. See you next Wait, time. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh. I know everyone was about to turn the <laughs> podcast off, but I've been wanting to do this for the last three episodes we've been talking about. I want to ask you a personal question. Yeah. Can I do that? Sure. Uh, I think most of our listeners probably know that you are still on TVC staff in some sense. You still work with in the department. You yep. teach the training program regularly. But the Lord has led you to go fight your own battle. Oh, boy. Uh, oh, no. I don't mean that. I don't mean that. You, in all seriousness, the Lord has called you to a great work. Yeah. I just want to give you an opportunity uh, to talk about that a little bit. So yeah, what has the, the Lord called you to? And like, what's happening this week? Yeah, thank you. So the week that we're recording this, so uh, so me and, and a group of people in Richardson, Texas are planting a church called Mosaic Church. Mm-hmm. We soft launched that church about seven weeks ago. We hard launched that church, meaning we start having public worship services uh, the week of this recording. So you won't hear this until it will be way past. We will have hard launched. Right. But this week we are hard launching our public service and uh, we're just really excited. I mean, the thing that I would say that God has really been up to is the the folks that have jumped on there planting this church with us are just incredible people. Yeah, they're just uh, you guys got to be around some of them. This it, was so it was so much fun. So it was so kind great. of the the last soft launch, mm-hmm. I guess, yep. it, before your hard launch. It was such uh, a sweet time for yeah. me. I know Jen would say the same yeah. thing to be there and just see the Lord is planting a church there. Yeah. You get to be a part of it, yeah. which is awesome. But the Lord is planting a church in Richardson. Yeah, and our people are just uh, just incredible folks. Mm-hmm. Just really. Uh, 
so much of what the Lord's been doing there has been the ministry he's already been doing through the saints mm-hmm. um, that have just been faithful in that place for a long time. And so it's a joy to get to lead them and it's been really sweet to see them do their thing. The thing that's been fun for me over the last few years, kind of praying with you about this, talking about this, arguing about it and, and asking the Lord what he's doing is what has been at the bedrock of this church planting movement for you has been prayer and evangelism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It hasn't been, uh, you know, awesome slogans. It hasn't been thinking about branding campaigns yeah. or philosophy ministries. It's mm-hmm. been, we need to pray right. and we need to share the gospel. Mm-hmm. I want to commend you for that. And I want to commend others who are listening to that to be about that in your communities, whether the Lord's calling you to plant a church or, or just follow and imitate the way of Jesus. Yeah. Pray for your neighbors, pray for the nations, share the gospel with them. So I want to ask our listeners as we do wrap this up, if you're listening to this and you're still with us after 30 minutes of, of, uh, of David and Goliath <laughs> stories and laughter and fun, but also hearing about this update, would you, is this podcast and just commit to praying for Kyle, pray for that launch team, Mm -hmm. that the word of the Lord would go forth, that lives would be changed, that dead people would come to life for the sake of the gospel and that community would be transformed through that work. Thank you, man. That's very kind. Mm -hmm. Love you guys. Love you. you. For more information, you can look into the show notes in the podcast description. We'd be honored for you to leave us a podcast review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. You can find us online at trainingthechurch.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter by searching Knowing Faith. We'll see you next time. Grace and peace.